in a man's world. All right, here we go. Are we ready? No, I guess. Yeah. That's what Amanda says. Yeah. Welcome to M Vibes Podcast, home of good music, good libations, and good vibes. All right, everyone, welcome yet again to another episode of M Vibes Podcast. I am Javier. I'm Eric. Hi, I'm Ernest. And I'm Russ, a.k.a. Mad Brother Ward. Oh, yeah. yeah. The only one who's not here is Amanda and obviously the intern who's out again. Again. She's fired. <laughs> so, yeah. She's been fired for like a month. I mean, how many chances do we give an intern before they're just completely... I mean, given that they're free fucking labor, as many as they want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more chance. There, no, there are other interns... Waiting in line. Maybe she fired y'all. That's true. That's, you know what? Yeah. Maybe she did fire us. You know what? She might have since we did bring in a replacement intern. Yeah. Hey, so, and he helped us change a flat tire. So he did. Yeah. However, know, but she brings us shots. She brings us drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what are you drinking today, Ernest? I am drinking um, the Oktoberfest beer from Petty Thieves called Hunting Attire. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, so uh, Tommy's brought a new brewery in that we hadn't yes, seen before. Yeah? absolutely. So now we get to uh, introduce some new beers instead of Noda and Pilot, although Noda and Pilot are excellent. Very cool Petty brewery, Thieves though. That's a oh, cool, yes. cool place Very to Very eclectic. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ted and Ryan, them do a great job. room in the back that's not so hidden is pretty cool. <laughs> the secret I, room. I've seen people walk out the door for the hidden room and then turn around and be like, where'd that door go? <laughs> yeah. So I had this um, before I had what I'm oh, drinking right Haiti. now, and it was really fucking good. Oh, that was a really good, Marcin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. excellent. You know, and Ryan's really young. Yeah. Uh, he's not been brewing very long, but he's he's been knocking it out of the park. Yep. What about you? Eric, uh, I am again. <laughs> you hey, other, you. other host. <laughs> I am again drinking uh, Armored Cow's Outlander, the pumpkin gluten free beer. Uh, it's a solid beer. I, it, it's you know it's seasonal, so it's uh, worth mentioning that we almost recorded Armored Cow tonight. Yeah, instead we, of Thomas, we were going to. Eventually, that's going to happen. We just got to get on the same page with yeah. the with the brewery. So yeah. As well as some other venues. Yeah. yeah. What about you, sir? Uh what am I drinking? I don't remember. I it's a, a stout, stout of yeah. some sort. <laughs> a Murphy Extra stout. Sweet. I, 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 I went for yeah. I went for uh I'm, I, we're at an Irish pub, right? Yeah. yeah. So Extra smooth Murphy's room. Irish Stout. There we go. Established eighteen fifty six. I'm reading the mirror behind you. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that's not on the glass. <laughs> well they changed gears on me. glass, yeah. I was going for the Guinness, and I wound up with the Murphys. That's all right. They're, they're equally amazing. I mean, they're two of the top. Oh yeah, they're both. They're so, both good. I am drinking crap. I forgot. Ah shit. Uh, some, I can, but that's right of, there. Oh no, I am drinking hunting attire. That's what, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. I, I thought you got the same beer, hunting attire. And then I also have a Skyline um, Light Lager, also by Petty Thieves. So that's going to be my follow up. Nice. And uh, you know, the always. Basil Hayden. Damn, I should have got some Basil Hayden. Oh, oh well. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kate. Oh, she, she Kate's not an that. intern. <laughs> but she is a bartender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So Anyways. tonight we actually um, have a very special guest, uh, yes. which I already obviously heard his voice and his name, uh, Ross Ward, other known as Mad Brother Ward. Mad Brother Ward. So we're going to have a cool interview. Uh, we're going to get to know about um, you know your music and your projects and all that entails. So. Eric? Yeah. 
We're excited to have you on the show, man. It's <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Y'all just need to calm the hell down. Yeah. I mean, well, I can barely contain myself. You know, Eric's like, what? Eric's no. like, what are we doing? What? No. It's a hurricane going on outside. There so, is, uh, yeah. What's the best thing to do during a uh, hurricane? Backstroke. Have a, have a podcast. Or drink. Yeah, record yeah. a podcast. Have a yeah. pint and wait for all of this to blow over. Yeah. So hopefully we don't lose power during the podcast. That'd be. Oh, that would suck. That'd be cool. Be like that. So All right. So, anyways. are you um, are are you a native Charlottean? Are you from Charlotte? No, but I've been here since 1985. I was 85. 14, and we moved here in the fall of 85. So, where are you from originally? Roanoke, Virginia. Oh, okay. I like Roanoke. And then by way of away. by way of Norfolk, we were lived outside of Norfolk, Chesapeake, Virginia. And then uh, spent, I know spent two years I know there about that area. Yeah, and then uh, came here in 85. My parents brought me here, and then they they left. <laughs> shit. You know okay. what? Pretty much. You know happened. what? Mine did the same shit. Yeah. I moved down here in '96 with my parents. We moved to Fort Myers, South Carolina, um, from Detroit. Oh wow! Um, my parents didn't like it down there, so they moved back up north. I stayed. I'm like, I can't go back home. I, there's just too much shit going on there. I'm not going back home. I'm staying down here, starting over fresh. Uh, they moved back home, and then they got tired of the cold. What so year was this? 96. 96. So they moved. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. 96. And then they moved from a few years later, after moving back home to Michigan, they moved to Tampa, Florida. Ah. Uh, I, they got tired of the winners. They they did. So I'll never forget. choice. I helped them move. I actually flew up and drove down with my dad in the uh, U-Haul. There was, it was six degrees. It was minus, sorry, minus six degrees when we were moving them out of... Michigan, there was ice forming in the back of the U-Haul. Right. We got down to Florida. It was 65 degrees. I think it was like January or something like that. Right. So they're like, yeah, this is heaven. Now they're dying, you know. Are, are there, hurricanes. There, and I was going to say, are they down there now? They are, yeah. Uh, it didn't hit them that hard in Tampa. Oh, good. It hit, um, actually, our friends in the free, free Fort coast. Myers area. Yeah. yeah. They got hammered, man. Oh, yeah. Fort Myers I saw, did. I saw yeah. Fort Myers, yeah. Yeah, I saw that on the news. Yeah. yeah. See, but after this, they can have their uh, water slide again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone can get uh, worms again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You, so, had to, you had to hear that episode, you know, what we're yeah. talking about, Russ. Yeah. So how did you get started in music here when, when I'm assuming oh, here in Charlotte? Right? Yeah. Um, God, so long ago. <laughs> um, I barely remember what I did yesterday. Somehow, I, I you know, I had this... Stu- I, I got into the punk rock, I, you know, playing punk rock. I got into it way late. Okay. I, I, was, I was already like 17. And that's not that late. Well, it's pretty it's late. Prime. And I was, because I, I, I was living outside, like I said, outside of Norfolk, and Virginia Beach in the mid 80s. And they had the Mount Trashmore thing and the whole skateboard yeah. culture and the punk rock thing was like really booming mm-hmm. out there. And somehow that just like flew over me. I just, I don't know. Um, So it was, so I consider 17 pretty old you know, to get into it. And, um, somewhere I got this convoluted idea that I could be a drummer and I somehow acquired some trashy set of drums and started whacking away on them. And, you know, then it was like, Oh, well then met him, you know, I'm going to start a band. Met a guy named uh, Brad and we kind of just taught ourselves to play and I got it rolling. We had our first band, it was called Failure, which later on there was a major label band called Failure. Uh, I, I was not, not that, yeah. the same thing. And um, 
whereas they were excess, the success at being failure, we were <laughs> just plain failure. And then uh, it just sort of kind of snowballed from that. Were uh, you exposed to any of the Richmond punk rock bands at, at the time? No, no. I like. I just you know this was here, so it was eight. Like I said, it was by this point. I was 18, 19. So it was obviously Anacene was going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a band called Sewer Puppet that were really popular at the time. They morphed into Buzz Oven later on. Oh, okay. Um, But they were pretty pretty different when I first saw them as Sewer Puppet. Um, I was familiar with a band from Myrtle Beach called um, Bazooka Joe. I've heard that name before. And they were really, they came up and played and they were really cool. so, you know, the but the local thing by that point was pretty stagnant and pretty pretty quiet. There wasn't a lot going on. This was what the late eighties? Yeah. So it would have been eighty between eighty nine and ninety one yeah. because I think we finally we didn't play out until like the summer of ninety one. Okay. There there wasn't many venues here at Charlotte at the yeah, time. There was though. the milestone and then the forty eight oh eight club, the original forty eight oh eight club, yeah. which was on Central Avenue at forty eight oh eight Central okay, Avenue. Yeah. And then uh Tremont didn't open to what? A year I moved down oh, there. Oh, yeah, that was a lot later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Which, I missed that venue. I've seen you play there before with anti-scene, but yeah. The first punk rock show I ever went to was actually at the 4808. That was a band, local band called Misguided Youth, and it was like their last proper show. And um, I'm still friends with those guys. I I didn't know them at the time, but later on I kind of got friendly with um Y'all probably know Lee McCorkle, mm-hmm. yeah. And he was the guitar player, and a guy named Jimmy King was the bass player. Yeah. And I ended up playing in another thing with Jimmy King later on. He actually played some shows with me back at the tail end of the. What do you call the two thousand and zeros? The the aughts. Millennium. The aughts. The the well the two thousand nine. If it was like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. What do you, I don't know what they call that. You can't say the like, early two thousands. Yeah. How yeah. about that? Yeah. Or, or the late early two thousands. I get confused on that. <laughs> Me too. So when you first started drumming away on your on your drums, so who did you take um who did you take uh, inspiration from? Or is it just something that you just I didn't I, make just, a ruckus? I just wanted to make a ruckus. That didn't last long. I ended up flipping the guitar pretty quick. Pretty quick. And um, you know, and then that was just like the Ramones, obviously, yeah. Because oh, anything yeah. that was really accessible and easy to play, <laughs> the know, chords, right? Yeah, yeah, and that was it. That was you know, I was ready to go, and that was all I wanted to do. I right. wasn't wasn't interested in playing lead or anything like that. And um, you know, I think I was having a, I was being, uh, I was having a real reaction to the late '80s for me. You know, seeing popular music turn into like hair metal and all that. I just didn't. That didn't speak to me at all, and yeah. I was pretty disenfranchised. So. You know, it was good that I had the punk rock thing to finally tap into the energy and the yeah. excitement of it. It's a it, for some people, it's a life changing thing, though. Mm. To, oh, it was. It was to, majorly to, to find that and like, wow, there's a whole new world here. It's, and it, then that opens up a whole new world to everything else because you learn it's not. I mean, it's punk rock, but there's a lot more to it. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it it changed. You talk about change of life. It did. It, it like, uh, you know, I had kind of a set of friends or whatever. And, you know, I, I, my parents were very religious. So, and they were Southern Baptist. And I don't know if y'all know Southern Baptist culture. Oh yeah. yeah. We know know all about that. It's rough as God. Sunday Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, My, my grandfather was a Southern Baptist preacher. So it was like, you know, 
the indoctrination and um it just didn't stick <laughs> and then the punk rock thing happened and it was just i just shot off into another trajectory and yeah. into a whole nother orbit i mean literally you know dropped out of school kind of just fuck it yeah yeah how long did failure last before you moved on to something to another nah, project not, we we, we kind of skidded out in like 92 the summer of 92 That's we a few years I mean, yeah we uh but there was you know it was a rotating lineup hmm sorry that's the year i graduated high oh school, high school yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't graduate um <laughs> we um but we you know we were young and kind of fell apart just out of backstabbing, bickering, yeah. you know, petty stuff, you know? And, uh, when they threw me out of the band, that's when I started going, you know, the idea was like, well, do your own thing. Right. Which is, it's a more com complicated story than that. Um, a guy named Malcolm tent came to Charlotte and was just visiting. And by chance we had gotten picked up to play this, um, this show at a thing called the uh, alternative radio coalition. And what they were doing was they were trying to work out a way to bring alternative radio to Charlotte college rock radio. Right. Mm, okay. okay. And, and they would have these little like um, meetings and they would have like a keynote speaker and then they'd have formal. a local band play. Well, it kind of was. And that was what made the whole thing funny. Somehow somebody thought it would be funny if we came in as a substitute because a band canceled as failure and yeah we came in and you know first song and you, you know 90 people just go <laughs> out the door and there's like 10 people left and uh but that's how i ended up meeting uh malcolm Tin. he ran tpos records and he ended up putting out my first record but he was going to do a failure record but he ended up doing my record because so it was a solo effort yeah once i once i decided i was going to go do my own thing and then I took over vocals and came quote unquote mad brother ward. And that's how that got started. Okay. So this is all like 92. Now you've, if I'm seeing what you posted on Instagram, right. You've retired from playing shows, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think what led I, to that decision? Just burnt out. age, I, you know, I, I aged out. I think I, I, it sounds kind of corny, but I just, um, when you know i had ended up i'm kind of jumping ahead i ended up playing guitar in anna i seen after mm -hmm. joe young passed away and um when uh when covid hit you know everything just sort of skidded to a halt and i think that's when i started realizing i'm not really all that excited to go back out again and um you know that really was a tough decision for me to make you know and i i i think clayton's still kind of sore at me i mean I, you know more disappointed, I think would be the right word because okay. I think he was kind of looking to me to be a linchpin to ride the whole thing out to the, till they All ended. Right. And, um, but he was talking about like really up in the schedule next year. And I just, I just couldn't do it. it so was, how did you get involved with anti-scene? Uh, well, they told me, <laughs> 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 no, I, I, you know, I saw them when I was a kid. One of the first shows I went to, I was you were involved prior anti-scene though you were like the murder junkies days though right kind of well I, I wasn't i was just around i wasn't okay. actively involved in all that so i went to go see him for the first time in 1989 and um you know they were kind of like in that era they were kind of like this bastard band in charlotte you know there was a 
you know, the music scene in Charlotte was kind of cover bands and there was the sort of wannabe hair bands mm-hmm. and then there was anti scene, you know, and it was kind of like, so that was kind of opening my eyes to that kind of, you know, underground culture or whatever you want to call it. And I just sort of came real enamored with that because they were so, uh, I don't know how you would describe it. Just, you know, I got into punk rock and, and like one of the first bands that I latched into right away very early was the exploited. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, you see that and that's sort of the stereotypical kind of media directed idea of punk rock and Mm -hmm. mohawks and the colored hair and the whole nine yards, you know, the and uniform, then, yeah. yeah, and then Anacin didn't have that. Right, they look like truck drivers, you know. Yeah, and 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 I I really identify with that a little more. It kind of spoke to where mm-hmm. we were in this culture, I guess, or whatever. More just less less uh, glam. Yeah, l- lower frills and yeah. just more. And you know, and yeah. the music was really the the thing less than the fashion. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and what. What got me directed on anti scene was all their songs about wrestling, like <laughs> Terry Terry Funk songs, uh, Funk You, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the first time I saw him, you know, Jeff's busting his head open on stage with blood. And yeah, with that a, was with a bar, barbed wire bat. So, yeah, yeah. When, before he, he was using the barbed wire, he would use glass. And, uh, yeah. you know, that was pretty shocking, especially back then, yeah. you know, because they were kind of transgressive. I don't I don't know if he would cop to that now but i mean they really were and it was really exciting to you know because you felt like you'd been kind of patched into this thing that no one really understood or knew what was going on and you know that kind of appealed to me too because it you know i don't think exclusive is the right word because that sounds elitist but just something that was like you know exclusive to you though it was your thing so it was um, that I, I became very passionate about it right away and started following them around. And then pretty soon they were like, if you're going to follow us around, come help, you know, load the gear or sell t-shirts or something. And that's, I so did that off and on for, sort of, yeah, I did that off and on for a long, long time. Like an intern kind of. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> but you stuck around. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Yeah. So go, going back a little bit. So tell us about that first album you recorded with, with, Oh, my own first record. Yeah. Okay. Well, what happened was I got kicked out of this band and it was kind of like a revenge factor. We had recorded a, we had done a recording and, um, you know, I have my story of it and I'm always like leery to tell it because I don't want to like reopen any old wounds, but, um, it felt like at the time they were, they, you know, they, they waited until after we had recorded to kick me out of the band because uh, you know I helped pay for it, right? And I was also uh, kind of the end with that's kind of shitty. with that. Well, it was just a you know. Yeah. I'm cool with all these guys now, so yeah. Um, and I'm this is going to lead to a point. Um, but I was sitting there, kind of you know, nursing my wounds, you know, feeling like I've been kicked out of my own band that I had started, and and it was probably rightly so because I was kind of difficult. And uh, it was Clayton who goes, "Why don't you just record your own stuff?" Why don't you just write some songs? I'm like, well, what do I do? He's like, well, write some songs, record them, send them up to Malcolm and see if he wants to do it. And that's what ended up happening. And we did that real fast. This is all summer of uh, 92. So this went from June to we recorded in August and the record was out in January of 93. What well, well, was, was it a, a full LP? No, it's just a seven inch. Seven inch. Okay. What was we, it called? It was called Hated by All. 
<laughs> I didn't come up with that name. Actually, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't come up with a lot of the concepts. I didn't come up with the name Mad Brother Ward. Clayton hung that on me as a joke. So, yeah, how, what, how, yeah what's, what's the reference? We, well, we, we were big wrestling fans, and we, we actually worked together at one point in a warehouse, and we were just, you know, you're bullshitting one day while you're working, and it's like, well, what was would the, you? Was hmm? it a HVAC? No, 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 no. Okay. This is... <laughs> This was a furniture place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, you know, well, what would you call yourself if you were a wrestler? Oh, I don't know. I'm fine. You know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, I know what they'd call you. They'd call you Mad Brother Ward. And I'm like, why? Because you're always bitching about something. <laughs> <laughs> and it just hung. It just stuck. And and um, when we started doing this thing, I was working with a guy named Tom. Now he is a guitar player. And we kind of looked at the focus of being the band, just the him and I. And then it was like, well, let's just use this name, Mad Brother Ward, and put that out front so it's the focal point. And it wasn't about ego or me or whatever. Sure. It was just because most every band I ever knew always had a constantly revolving lineup. And it was easier just to have that one focal thing. That's totally anti-scene. Like, every album's got new guys on it. I know four or five guys that have been in the band. So Yeah, yeah well, they, but with Mad Brother Ward, I'm saying it's just Mad yeah, Brother Ward right. up front. Um. And we just, we didn't, we were going to do two songs and it turned into four. We kind of improved half of it in the studio. And, you know, I figured it would be the one and done kind of a thing. And um, it came out and for some reason, all the underground magazines, all the fanzines, Maximum Rock and Roll and Flipside and all that, they all picked up on it and it just sort of caught traction. And then Jeff, of course, was like, well, you know, you got to play a show now. And that turned into a whole nother nightmare. <laughs> we only yeah, I mean, make this very like like fatalistic approach to playing live. Well, we had my attitude was really, really, really piss poor, and um, so the shows would get violent and unnecessarily so because I would instigate it, mm-hmm. and you know I was young and full of a lot of pin up kind of. You know, I look, I, I could look back at now and go, well, you know, your parents instilled all this blah, and, you know, yeah, you yeah. got picked on and blah, 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 or whatever. But I was a lot of undirected, misguided, um, just ugliness. I think, you know, unless you're in it for the fashion statement, I think a lot of us, at least speaking personally, a lot of my personal friends, you gravitate towards music like punk because you're so disenfranchised, have some pent up, unresolved. Yeah anger that you have no idea where it comes from you just know it's there and you don't know how to sort of tame it yeah and that allows you to release it in a way right well uh, I, it probably could have been done in a little more positive productive way but but then you'd be playing like blink 182 yeah type stuff. and that's we didn't identify with that either at <laughs> right, all exactly we were um so what are we playing that is from the first nic record that's before i ever came along Destructo Rock. Destructo Rock. So what? So after that live album sort of took off, or that first not live album, first album first took off, and sort of digging around, what came after that? Um, well, we, we 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 played shows. They were pretty chaotic and crazy, and the record got a lot of positive notice. And like I said, Maximum Rock and Roll, which was the bible of punk rock back right. then, flip side, and and. Uh, then it was like, well, maybe we can do a second one. And there was a guy that 
you know, again, Clayton being instrumental in helping a lot of this stuff always happen. Um, they were working with a guy out of Arizona at the time, and he was start doing a little startup label, and he was offering to put out a record. So we recorded a second record, and um, kind of just repeated the cycle. Real, but it, it, you know, it was real short. It was a real short time. Uh, it was ninety two to, and it was over by ninety four, I think. Okay. It was real fast, but the records always did real well. And so that's second one was released as well. Yeah, and I think the really the second one got even probably more positive notice. And I, my memory was that once we, we had the second record out, I picked up the first one again. It kind of okay. backdrafted that first one up. And so, and I don't know how many were pressed of the second record. There's, I think there's more of the second one than there was of the first one. Any thoughts of having those re repressed and put, put back out again? Um, I've talked to Malcolm 10 about it. And he, like I said, he was the guy that put out the first one. And, um, He's going to, he, he, he likes unusual ideas. He's a, he's into really kind of esoteric kind of ideas and he puts out stuff in weird formats. Uh, he likes to put out stuff on like eight track. Oh, wow. But yeah. You know, and, and he, I've heard it sounds way back, but I, I he, don't know. He, he, I don't he, know, he, he, track you know anymore. Yeah. When he uh, got to 100 releases and this is back in like 94, 95, he put out a compilation and instead of a box set, he did a bagged set. So it was a 12-inch, a 10-inch, a 7-inch, and I think a tape, and a cassette tape. But, you know, it was in a bag instead of a box. Uh, For all the artists he recorded. Right. Everybody had a song on it. I had a song on it. And um, he put out an anti-scene record that was in a brown paper bag. Okay. And they printed the cover on the the brown paper bag. Anyway, he's talking about putting a compilation of all my stuff out on a cassette. That would be great. Cassettes I see coming yeah, back. I don't know about eight tracks. Well, he he ran his own record store too for a long, long time, and uh, still that's what he does for a living. Is he travels around, sells records, and yeah. so he's kind of plugged into what will and won't sell. I don't think he would do anything just because it's novelty, you know. You know though, but cassette tapes is cool, but I think you'd sell more on vinyl than you would on. Well, until until the next sort of wave of hipsters catches on to the yeah. next, I don't know recording I, media, right? He, I don't. We might have discussed doing this thing on vinyl. This comp, the, you know, the comp of the two records, and then I've got some other loose stuff like that was on uh, other compilations and stuff, and then this record that I just came out with this year. So, I don't know if he's gonna. You know what plan he has to do with it after that. We, I'm just kind of leaving it up to him. You know, when we were getting set up for the, uh, well, I was getting my gear ready for the uh, 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 Scott night here. I found a um, unopened blank maximum cassette tape. I'm like, <laughs> wow! I, how long have I had this thing? Yeah, I used to sit in my, in my room and just make. Mixtapes, yeah, for people. I mean, a that, lot. that was so essential back, especially in the late '80s, yeah. early '90s. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, before there was the, you know, you, you could just go get on your phone and look up something on Spotify. You know, yeah. you, you were passing tapes around with your friends. I, I, that was vital to me because I, I met a guy here, and like I said, when I was getting into it, and um, we met through a letter. We both wrote letters to Creative Loafing. The Creative Loafing was the local free yeah, paper yes. that was here for years. I missed that though. Before I caused the, ner- the, the nerve now, and, the Charlotte nerve. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but uh, Gigi Allen came to town after mm-hmm. getting out of prison and 
there was a they they did a little write up about it, and there was a pro and a con, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, I wrote a letter objecting to the con, and so did this guy named Jesse. And I was like, I wonder who that is. And we ended up meeting and making friends or whatever. And he started making me tapes of stuff that I'd never heard. And like, you know, it, back then trying to find a lot of stuff, especially in punk rock, would be difficult because it wasn't like you could just go to Camelot. I mean, you had obvious stuff that you could buy at like Camelot that was like with major distributors. There might have been like minor threat right. and misfits and What's yeah. your minor you, you threat with anti scene and. But you weren't going to find Gigi a lot Allen of stuff, yeah. And he 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 turned me on to stuff that I didn't even, you know, like I knew the Dead Boys, but I didn't know that the Dead Boys had been born out of a band called Rocket from the Tombs. And shit, me either. And um, well, there before there was the Dead Boys, there was a band called Rocket from the Tombs, and basically that band split, and half of it became Rocket from the Tombs, or excuse me, Rock Rocket from the Tombs from the- split, and half of it became the Dead Boys, and half of it became Perubu. Oh. And all the a lot of those early songs on both of those first records were recorded with that band. And there's a recording. It's a it's a pretty lo-fi recording, but it's I you know it's out there. Um, back then though, it was like impossible to find. And I had only heard the first Dead Boys record. And he goes, well, he put this song called "Ain't It Fun" on there. And Dead Boys ended up recording it on their second record, but I had not heard it yet. And that's been covered by like Guns N' Roses and stuff. And everyone thinks of it as a Dead Boy song. But in my mind, because I got, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't know how many people can say they heard the Rocket from the Tombs version before they heard the Dead Boys version, because that's just a weird confluence of events. I don't know if I'm making any sense here. You are. Yeah, no. absolutely. Yeah. And that's okay. And if you're not, you're in the right podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that made you know, perfect but sense. I'm, the point was the, the whole idea of comp tapes and stuff. He was always, you know, he was loading up tapes with stuff and I was just getting to hear all kinds of different things and it would be all across the spectrum, you know, um, anything from British street punk and, you know, New York city, hardcore or hip hop even, you know? Yeah. And it was just like, he's like, you need to know this. You need to know this, you know? And I didn't respond to all of it, but I was getting sort of an education as I was already kind of getting into all that stuff at, at the same time anyway. So what was your first, uh, I hate to jump to this. What was your first interaction with Gigi Allen? Well, see, he came to town at, like I said, he, he'd gone to prison and, um, that was, you know, it's first heard of him before I even heard anti scene or anything. He had written a letter, you know, it was kind of ran with some heavy metal kids and there was a magazine called rip. I don't know if y'all remember this. It was like a gloss, glossy, you know, newsstand, heavy metal circus magazine. Was it was, it was, it was like a rival to circus. And he had written a letter talking about he was going to kill himself on stage. And I remember reading that. I was in the cafeteria lunchroom in high school. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? You know, I'm like, this guy's going to what? You know? <laughs> and then I, it, coincidentally, uh, Repo Records had opened up in their very first location, which was over on Plaza Midwood. Uh, well, central, that, yeah. well South, they, he was at South Central. Boulevard. Well, he was, it, most people remember the Central yeah. Morningside yes. location, but he had another location before that. Oh, really? Yeah. And, um, I, that was the first time I saw any of this stuff and he was loaded with all the punk rock stuff. And that, you know, I was like, you know, where's this been all my life? You know, I, I just wandered into that store by 
chance. And, uh, you know, and then I saw the Gigi records and I was too scared to buy them. I, I just looked at them and I was like, I don't know if I want to chance my money on this. You know? <laughs> and then of course I, I fell into it and, uh, and then straight away it wasn't cool. You know, uh, the, the kids that I knew that were into punk rock were like, you like that stuff? And I'm like, you don't, <laughs> you know? So there was a big disconnect there, you know? And, uh, when, so when he got out of prison, he came to, to Charlotte and by then they had moved to the Morningside location repo and he did an in-store and that was the first chance I got to meet him. And then he would come to town sporadically, just not, you know, not for any reason. He kind of ran the circuit and, you know, because he was friends with Clayton and the anti-scene guys, um, you know, he, he would go from town to town when he wasn't doing anything and stay for about 10 days and then move on, you know, he yeah. just cause he didn't have a home. So he would come to Charlotte, you know, once or twice a year for about 10 days and, you know, just hang out. So that's how I kind of got to meet him. I never was like, you know, friends with him or anything. He was obviously, he was a lot more tight with Clayton and more so the young brothers, Joe Young from the guitar player. Mm-hmm. From I seen he had a yeah. brother, his brother's name was Jeff too. So that gets confusing, but, and Jeff Young was probably the guy that got really the tightest with Gigi when he was here, which was funny because like he didn't want anything to do with him <laughs> the first time he came to town. They were like, go pick him up at the bus station. He's like, no. And then, you know, over the next couple of years, they got to be really good friends. So, but I saw another side of Gigi Allen that most people didn't see. You know? That's awesome. You know, speaking of um, Repo, when your record came out, I went there to go find it. Surprisingly, they didn't have it. I went to Lunchbox. They had your record, but I thought if anyone in town would have your yeah, I don't. Record, I, there was a there was some some sort of mix up with that, and I don't remember what the story was there. But uh, he didn't pick it up straight away. I think because he wasn't sure of who it was that was. I don't remember what happened there, but he didn't have it initially. Lunchbox had it before anybody. Right. I was. Uh, I love I love Rebo, but Lunchbox has just such a selection. They, yeah. I mean, it's a pain in the ass to go through the records when they're like this close to each other. Yeah, yeah. but it's also a pain in the ass to go when they're fucking sideways on the wall and you have to kind of like do this yeah, the yeah, whole time yeah, after yeah, a while. You're yeah. like, my neck is killing yeah. me. Um, so how did you, uh, I know I asked this briefly, but how did like your next, you know, sort of stage that I know you from is will be anti-scene, anti-scene, mm-hmm. right? Like how did that whole start? How long were you there? What, what albums did you work in? Well, it was, you know, wait, they had, they had already been together 30 years before I got in. Right. Um, the guitar player, the, you know, the, by that point, the, the only two remaining original guys was the singer, Jeff, Jeff yeah. and then Joe, the guitar player. Yeah. And Joe, uh, you know, had a massive heart attack and died in his driveway one morning. And that was a, that was a crazy, crazy day. That was a whole, that whole time was pretty crazy. Uh, I thought that would be the end of it, you know, and, um, I guess it's some, you know, some point over the next probably 10 days, they sat down with Jeff Young, Joe's brother, because they were, Joe and Jeff Young were like super close. They had, you know, they were just really tight. Um, and Jeff Young was real adamant that they would continue. And, um, you know, it had been a joke in the past that, you know, Joe was like, well, if anything ever happens to me, just, you know, It'll be just give it, give the guitar to Russ and he'll go, you know, uh-huh. and then it was funny until it wasn't. And they called me up when, one day it was kind of cryptic, but I knew exactly what was going on. They're like, come, come talk to us. And I'm like, uh, okay. And that's when they were like, you're going to play guitar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I, you know, and oh, we just what year was this? This 2014. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Joe Joe didn't pass away that long ago. Um, yeah, it was May of 2014. Yeah. It was, I think, or what? Or, yeah, was it? It was the last day of April or something like that. So, how many um, actual studio records have you recorded with them? Uh, it's been uh, well, studio records. Let's see, we did. We did a couple of seven inches, and then we did two LPs. A Christmas album too, right? We did the Christmas yeah. the Christmas EP. That's a twelve inch EP. Uh, we we did. Uh, I've done, I guess, three live albums. And see, I, I got I fell in at a really kind of probably a good time because um, I got to go to Europe for the first time with those guys, mm-hmm. and then uh, what went to Japan in twenty eighteen. And that was huge. That was a big deal because that was something that I know that they had all looked forward to trying to do at some point. And I feel kind of bad that, you know, I wish Joe Young could have been a part of that and, and, and experienced that. I remember having a moment while I was over there. We, um, one of the opening bands got on stage and joined us to play uh, one of our songs. And it was just so, it was so surreal, you know, I'm like, we're in Japan with people that we can't even really communicate right. with too well. And they're playing our, these songs like note perfect and they're singing it, you know, word for word. And it was just a really, Japan's cool got a thing. hardcore scene. Very hardcore. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, and I seen still a cult man everywhere they go. It's, it's, you know, anywhere they go, they're going to draw an audience, but it's not like, um, no effects playing at the Fillmore. You know, or nothing, I was just going to bring up. No thanks playing in Japan because they go there and their fan base is like in um, sync or like a big pop hand playing here. Thousands and thousands of people go to their yeah, shows. They're, 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 they're really popular. Yeah, they they're have kinda, a huge base there. Yeah, yeah. but we we, <laughs> we didn't get we didn't have that. <laughs> but you know, it, it's interesting to me. Because I still looked at it, even when I was playing with them, I looked at it as like from a kind of still from a fan perspective, because it's always interesting to me, you know, to see like in Japan, people were flying in from Korea. That's just amazing to me, you know, and they do these like when they do their anniversary shows or any of these, some of these bigger shows they'll do and people will fly over from Europe. And um, we had a couple that would come and follow us around if we were doing an extended run because you know, all of us had day jobs, so an extended run for us would be like 10 or 12 days. Yeah. But if we did a run like that, and then all of a sudden there's this people from Germany that flew over and they're following the whole thing, yeah. you know. So that's that's all pretty amazing. And that's, you know, again, that's a testimony to what Jeff and uh, Joe Young put together, you know, back in the 1983. Yeah, it's so weird because the first time I ever met Jeff uh, and Rebecca, his, his wife, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was. I already knew of anti scene or anti scene since the nineties because I because they used to tour all mm-hmm. over the country. So I saw them sometime in the late eighties, early nineties in Texas. I don't remember. Those two decades are very drug fueled for me, so it's very hazy. <laughs> but when my children started hanging out with their daughter, oh wow, um, they were supposed to go and hang out with them, and I was like, well, you're not allowed unless I talk to the parents, obviously, because they were like in middle school or some shit right, like right. that. And uh, apparently they were very nervous because of how they look, mm. um, both 
Rebecca and, and, and Jeff, and they were very nervous, uh, or not nervous, I guess that's not the right word, but you know, they, they get judged, right? I mean, they, they're, they're heavily tattooed. They certainly don't look like your average high school parent, right. you know, PTA type parent. So, um, and my, my daughter was like, well, they, you know, they, they're kind of little. So I was like, no, it's fine. Like I to tell him, I know who he is. I know who, who Jeff Clayton is. I know what the band is. I've actually seen them live. And they were so like, relief like it was like oh, okay great so then we got on a call and it was, it was awesome oh. but that was my first like actual experience with him it's like no you're, you're it was it was just a funny thing for me um but the first time i saw them was sometime in the uh, 80 late 80s early 90s in in texas but we're at in texas I, I, I what city a lot of uh, it had to have been uh close to the border because I, oh. I, I grew up in brownsville okay. texas which is the border so it had to be somewhere like corpus or or El Paso or Houston or, or yeah. somewhere in, in, in those, one of those cities. Cause I, I honestly do not recall. I just know that I knew of them, that I had seen them live and that I had been following them for a while. Yeah. I didn't know any other own, any other music. I didn't know a whole lot about them, but I knew that I had like, I, I wasn't completely foreign to them. Yeah. Yeah. They do. They do real well in Texas. Texas has always been a hotbed for them mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And yeah, I always look forward to playing San Antonio. That's oh, San, but San Antonio. No San matter Antonio, what you do in San Antonio, San Antonio is the. It's probably my favorite place to play. Yeah, or has been. You know, at least with Anacine music. Um, in Austin is also pretty badass. Just maybe not so much on the punk scene. Yeah, but just kind of everything else. I took. I did the Mad Brother Ward show in Austin, and they were telling me before we got there, they're like, "You can't have a bad show in Austin." And I'm like, hold, <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> and we had the bad show in Austin. Austin's such a fun music town. Though. But I, yeah, I, I, you know, it's changed so much between the first time I went there and now. And it's kind of, it seems to be changing for the worse for like this kind of music. Um, whereas it used to be really big and, you know, the, the, the places they would play, there was... Um, emos and then it was a club that was almost identical called red seven mm-hmm. i can remember going in and just to show you how much it's changed we went to and we they played red seven this is before i joined the band so this would have been a year or two before i joined and they they uh they hooked up with zeke and they played with zeke at red seven and it was and they played out on this outdoor stage and it was like 1200 people i mean it was huge and then we came back with Zeke a couple of years later when I was in the band and we played, it wasn't even on the same side of town. We played this little tiny club that was about the size of the milestone to about 150 people. Wow. And I'm like, what, what's going on? You know, and I, I, I kind of spied that though. In between we played with the, the meat men and, oh my God. and Texas and I and in Austin. And uh, I can remember walking down a street and passing some open open storefront thing and it's these kids with like laptops and boo 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 and i'm like this does not bode well for live music no and yes it's what's killing it right now well i mean you know it's generational this you know kids are gonna have their thing but you know unless unless you have good parenting who teaches you good music yeah well i've got kids of my own and i'm lucky that they kind of fell into good stuff because i was really like concerned about like steering them into something i wanted them to develop their own ideas and their own yeah. tastes and their own you know but i found I, that's the I, best. I think it's hereditary 
I know. I find that's the my, best way to do it. All my kids are on it. Play no. it around it, but very much like religion. Don't beat it over their fucking head because right. then they're going to they're gonna yeah. hate it. Yeah, my right. children both, well, one of them are just hardcore one into like she dresses, acts. I mean, she is like Kate. Like she's full-blown punk. The other one doesn't. She's actually more into R&B and hip-hop. Right. But if, you know, the, the Kennedys comes on, the subhumans come or subhumans come, the crass comes on, she knows exactly what they are. She knows who they are, what they are, and she knows every song. She doesn't live the punk lifestyle like the right. other one. Right. But she knows all that shit. Right. Yeah, I'm completely out opposite so my oldest does not like punk rock at all mm-hmm. dawson on the other hand will walk around the house singing suckle killer right. i'm like oh that's awesome yeah. <laughs> like wait is it awesome i don't know i hope grandma never hears her singing that but yeah all right so what are we listening to now these are this all is... i seen songs what's this from this is from uh live in quarantine okay live in quarantine yeah we did the quarantine shows uh you know, when the COVID thing hit, we couldn't play shows. So we did uh, two sh- uh, live things on Facebook. And um, those were really, really successful. I, I wasn't sure what to, what to expect from them. We had, uh, you know, kind of professional crew come in. I mean, for what we could afford. And uh, they turned out well enough. The guy that uh, the TKO Records, the record label, and I seen on, he, he was like, we're, we're putting this out. We're, you know, that's, oh, that's cool. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds good. So hell yeah. yeah, why not? So the first one I think uh, was, has the DVD with it. And then the second one, the show is uh, still on YouTube. We only had the, the first one we only let stay up for about 10 days, but it got like close to probably 20,000 views, which, you know, more people saw that one thing than probably the cumulative audience that I played through the entire time I was in the band. Wow. So you can't, I mean, you know, so that speaks to the power of the internet. So I know we've been listening to mostly anti anti scene songs. So you recently released your latest album, right? Like this yes, was the single. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about that. So how did, how did that, what's, what's it called? Well, how did that come to fruition? The ugly life single. Uh, what happened there was, um, I um, was staying with some friends and they have a band called Fireball XL5 and they've been together for like 30 years or whatever. And they play very sporadically. They're, you know, all older guys. They played pretty regularly in the early nineties and somewhere in the tail end of the nineties, they just sort of, you know, you know, had families and everything else and obligations, but they still get together. If, if nothing else, they'll get together and just, you know, jam. And they still do that probably at least every once a month, six weeks. And uh, one afternoon, I happened to be there and they were like, hey, you want to do any of your stuff? You got anything? And this is the second time something like this has happened to me. And we ended up recording it just on the fly and uh, kind of finished it out and with no real idea what we were going to do with it and kind of forgot about it for about two years. And then I got an email about a year ago, a year and a half ago now, I guess. And it was a guy named Josh Kelly, and he was starting a label, and it's called Ruined Records. And he goes, you got anything? And I'm like, I have this. If you want to do something with right. it, you're welcome to it. And one thing led to another, and here we are. We got the single. And when did you release this? Which actually, um, this came out in February I of think. this year, right? Yeah, because yeah. I remember with him, I was looking for it too. 
And um, I'm surprised at the reaction this has gotten because I was worried that he was going to get, you know, Josh it was going to put a lot of money into this because he kind of up front said, look, I want to make this cool. Right. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's whatever you think is cool. We need to do it. So we started batting ideas back and forth. And it was like, well, do we want to do colored vinyl? Well, yeah, that might be a good idea. Well, what do you know? And that's always a plus. And we had done an etched record with Anic in the Christmas record. Oh yeah. And I just, which I tried playing. Oops. And we stole that idea from a single that I got that was there was a Christmas single that came out in the early 90s by a band called the Creamers and their lead singer just recently passed away unfortunately and they were a cool band I liked them a lot and uh, but they did and, and basically I copied the concept for this record we did it for the NIC record as well so the two songs are on the A side and the flip side is an etching yeah uh, I've seen several of those, yeah. And so it's it's etched colored vinyls on blue vinyl, and the the Mad Brother Ward logo yeah, is etched on the awesome. on the flip side. So since you've uh, retired from touring, mm-hmm. um, so what? So kind of what are you doing to promote it, if anything, or what? What's next for I'm you? I'm doing stuff like this when I can. Uh, you know, sure. Uh, we've been really lucky with this because um, to get the etching. We had to do 500, and he wanted to do three, you know, which I thought was fair because I haven't put out a record in a long, long time. Right. And um, so we just decided, well, we're going to operate on this 300 number as the as a, as a paradigm. If we can sell 300, then it's been a success. Right. And I think we're about right at 400 right now, and that's without playing a show or doing anything super active to promote it. It got picked up on some review sites and got really good reviews, which I was... You know, I'm yeah, I mean, super it's, it's stoked about I love that. Both songs on it, so yeah. I, I do too. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. And it sounds amazing, and, and the pressing is fucking gorgeous. I and mean, he's also doing well, maybe uh, one more show? Mm, I mean, never say never, but I don't. <laughs> I'm thinking about doing another record, which is kind of where everything kind of comes full circle. The guys that I had that band failure with mm-hmm. are all still around, and we're all still playing music, and I talked to John the drummer and I was like you want to maybe help me do an LP because Josh wants to do an LP now the, he, he, he's like you know this record sold there's, there's demand dude let's do an LP and I'm like okay so I'm talking to guys and, and then John was like well what if we got Brad and Tim the guys that were in failure yeah, that you know? would be fucking badass and so that's the plan right now bring it around full circle then yeah, yeah. I was gonna say coming live to Tommy's pub oh. yeah well <laughs> I did. Oh, I thought I lost my mic for a minute. I, you know, like I said, I'm not going to say never, never, but highly unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) But you're saying there is a chance. I don't know that I could physically do a performance. You know, I think you could. We, we, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Fucking peer pressure. Well, I was, you know, I'm used to operating kind of at a certain level performance wise. And I don't, you know, I'm just like, man, I don't know if I can make it through three, three songs. I'm so out of but shape. But if you could do it in the studio, sort of, sort of right? Yeah, I, well, that doesn't require a lot of physical <laughs> animation. <laughs> you can sit. Yeah, I'm sitting in a wheelchair. <laughs> I mean, look at the look like, no, no, Phil, Co- Phil Collins. Stones will be playing in their fucking coffin. <laughs> yeah. Phil Collins was sitting in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I'm like, he was sitting in a wheelchair and he fell on Charlie yeah. when he played here. So. 
He fell out of the wheelchair? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What? How does that no, even no. happen? No, he he fell on his way to his chair. Oh, oh. not from the wheelchair. No, no, no. Until, well, he was performing. No, he, oh, I guess he, he wasn't in a wheelchair. No, no, all over no, but he performed in a chair. And on his way to the chair, or either on his way out of the chair, he fell down on stage. I was not there, but I heard about it. So, so, well, so oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was say, my memory of the last time sense that you said the last time the Ramones played here, I seem to remember Joey Ramone fell over on stage. <laughs> I've Which, never seen him. You never saw the Ramones? No, I, I've seen Marky twice, but I've never oh. seen. Oh, no, before. I never saw him with Didi, but I saw him four times. It was all, I, but it was always. I was CJ. at an anti-scene show once, and you were talking about you were wearing a Ramon shirt, and Gigi Allen came in and said, "I, I want your shirt." Yeah, I had a I had a T-shirt that I bought at the beach, and it was one of those acid wash shirts, and oh, yeah. you know, kind of look almost like it looked like black tie dye, but it's acid wash, and mm-hmm. it, and the whole front of the shirt was the Ramones cover of the first record, and I walked into Clayton's one time, and Gigi was in town, and he's like. You know, walk in the door and he's like, hey, I gotta have that shirt. <laughs> and I was like, okay. You know, and I gave him the shirt. And what was wild about it was a couple of years ago, a new documentary came out on uh, GG called, I think it's called, it was called All in the Family at first. Now I think it's just called The Allens. But there's a scene in it where Merle, his brother, is showing off stuff. And he's got that shirt. No shit. <laughs> and I, 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 so That's I emailed awesome. him and I was like, I messaged him and I was like, dude, you know, what, what, what's going on with that shirt? You know? And he's like, I've already turned down $500 for it. And I was like, well, I hope you get it, man. <laughs> Can I have a bag? It's mine. Yeah, actually. I, did, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't going to do that. But no. I mean, if he, had, if he had said like, oh, you know, even if he'd said a hundred bucks, I'd be like, dude, I'll, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Yeah. For it. That would have been cool to get it back. But it was cool to see it pop up in that movie. I was just like, holy shit, how did that survive? Because I didn't think um, that was going to survive the week with him. You know, I figured once yeah. he was gone, it would be. And I've only seen two pictures of him wearing it ever. And one of them, he's like drinking a milkshake or something. He's, not, you know, he's got a straw in his mouth. He's got this stupid look on his face like someone just ran up to him with a camera. I'm like, God, it's not even a cool picture of him, you know. But. Had you ever been at his shows where he did, you know, I went to go see crazy shit? I saw him in Atlanta, Georgia, and no, he did all his classic crazy shit after the show backstage. Oh, okay. And I missed, I missed a lot of that. Thank God. You know, you know, it's funny because I've seen his like videos of him live, but when you hear his actual music, it sounds nothing like he does live. No, it's it's across the, you know, it, it's you listen to his early stuff and it sounds yeah. almost like a teenager because he was almost, I mean, he's a little yeah. older, but, but it's, yeah. you know, his voice is real, you know, he had a decent voice and the songs are kind of like a real uptempo, almost like pop punk kind of a yes, thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But it's a little more aggro than your, you know, standardized pop punk or whatever, you know, more rocking. And then you get by the mid eighties and it's just, you know, some of it sounds like it's recorded on a boom box and a, a, you know, in somebody's yeah. basement. And I mean, there's a, to me, there's a quality to that too, that I appreciate, but I can understand most people I love just, that stuff. you know, wrinkle their nose. And to you it. Know, that's one of like the early days of getting turned on to punk rock is that when, when you get that sound, when you, when you understand that sound, it speaks to you and you try and play it for other people. They're like, this sounds like shit. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, no, yeah. you have no idea. This sounds fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I, I've told the story a million times yeah. when I first got in the scene and I'm trying to turn my high school buddies into it, you know, yeah. 
like, and, and the kid, I, I remember riding in the car and I'm in the back seat and I'm just like, like, isn't this great? You know, play, it had to, you know, uh, recorded on a tape and, you know, had it in the tape player and the kid in the passenger seat, his name was Travis. He turns around, he looks at me and he's, you know, his face is all like, Ugh, and he goes, is the guitar supposed to sound like that? <laughs> and that was a, but that was a big revelation to me. Cause I, I realized, you know, I understand something they're not getting right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I, that's, again, that's just drives you further into it. I, I played like early misfit songs for all my heavy metal friends back home. They're like, this, this, this doesn't sound like yeah, it, it should. It, yeah. But like, if anyone was going to, like touch or, or at least like make sense to heavy metal kids. I would assume yeah. that fucking Misfits would be the one band that would. Right. Well, they you know they covered the Misfits on the Metallica did right. on the yeah. Garage Days record, and that was the door. That was but the gateway for me. A lot of guys it. didn't know those were yeah. Misfit songs. Yeah. Well, you couldn't find the Last Caress anywhere. Right. Yeah. And the Green Hell was on. uh It was on. You could find that. I don't remember how I had it, but I, I that was on. Garage it was, it, yeah, but yeah I mean, they did. They like didn't the, run into the other, but one was on. Version, yeah. yeah, and I, I, I can remember um, getting a, again the, the the Almighty cassette. Somebody gave me a cassette with all that Misfit stuff on it, and that was the first time we heard the original yes. of all that. And I can remember playing that in a guy's car stereo at school after school one day, and all these kids came like horseshoeing around mm-hmm. the car and like. Where did you find that? Because everyone knew that song. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, that was like the everyone loved that song. It didn't get re-released until Static Age in like the nineties. Yeah, to, to yeah. Find it again. Yeah, that's a great record too. Static Age. Oh fuck yeah! That's yeah. I, I. I feel bad because I feel like a lot of my favorite bands peaked on their first stuff. Like I, I think that Bad Brains, the Black Dots record, mm, their yeah. very first stuff. I'm like, none of their stuff is as good as a that. lot of Bad Brains stuff is repeatable. Like all their albums, they, they re-recorded this, they, they a lot of the same them. songs. Yeah. And we're gonna go see you. Him, uh, we're gonna go see HR and Raleigh, yeah, yeah, which is the same night as another show in town. And I'm like, fuck, and I forget what other shows in town, but so oh, no, that's the same night as Ciderfest at Brickley. Now, fuck Ciderfest, yeah, well, fuck you. <laughs> no, better. we are, we are yeah. gonna go see um, HR, yeah. So, um, just kind of wrap it up. So, if, if somebody wants to listen to your music, buy your music, I mean, where, where do we direct them? Uh, there's a band camp page that the label set up, and you can uh play the songs. I don't think that costs anything, or you can. Buy the songs, or you can buy the record from the web. Uh, I think it has a link to the website. And um, I, if you're going to get a record, jump on it because I think they're starting to run a little low. I know. I was telling them, like, I need to find your fucking that. Yeah, I need to find it because, yeah. yeah. Man, Brother Ward. Yeah. Which is cool that Jeff gave you the name. It's like a wrestling name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm a big wrestling fan. Oh, no, so, I am yeah. too. I, but I'm um, kind of a. I'm. I'm not a good wrestling fan. So there are a bunch of things out there, you know. Uh, are you familiar with Jim Cornette? Yes. yes. I'm I'm more of a Jim Cornette kind of thing. Okay, yeah. I, I like yeah. the old school stuff. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. they're doing it wrong. Yes. <laughs> you talk shit about all the all the There's uh, a, a really cool uh cowpunk band from Texas called the Von Erics. They used to come to Charlotte. Yes, quite yes, a bit. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know what though? They didn't know who the Von Erics really were. I saw them. The band didn't know? I talked to all, them about that. I mean, I rolled right up there and was just like, 
you know, like yeah, you're the Von Erichs, and you're from Texas, yeah. And we, I tried to talk wrestling with them, and they were just like, kind of like, oh, you know, we just knew who they were. We went to go see their. We went to the. I went to their graves. The Von Erichs, so you know, they're all. They all died in short order. It's a crazy story. Yeah, it is. We went to their graves and Carrie. I mean, when I was growing up, Carrie Von Erich was like. Yeah, up there. The Texas to be tornado. Yeah. 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 Well, that's before the Texas tornado. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Texas, yeah. when yeah. they, you know, in the their, family, they yeah. were huge in Dallas. Yeah. I mean, uh, when the first one died, they they closed the schools for the day. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. We used uh, to steal cable so we can watch the Von Eric family's uh, really? family uh, wrestling because wow. yeah, we didn't have cable. Um, uh, speaking of that, like a lot of. Uh, Mom and pop wrestling uh, shows are starting to pop up a lot around North Carolina again. So it's actually pretty cool, man. I fucking love it. Great. All right. Backyard wrestling. It's not exactly backyard wrestling. That's not what this is. There are no tables on fire and ICP is not there. So catches on fire. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, you. Uh, this show, is man. really That's awesome. awesome. Um, again, you guys need to, you know, go out. Hopefully, you'll put out another album and that whole, you know, That's, you're not playing live again. It's maybe more of a, another show. Yeah. yeah. Well, the so, LP's pretty much guaranteed. guaranteed? Set. Okay. I, I, I mean, barring any unforeseen snags. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to go see any new, any exciting things, Eric? This coming uh, up before, this before we record again? Oh, uh, n- next Friday with Amanda, I'm going to go see uh, Twin Temple. Twin Temple. Which right. is a uh, satanic doo-wop group. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Mephiscopheles. Mephiscopheles or Ghost all combined into one, yeah. What about you, Ernie? Anything exciting coming up? Uh, No. Nothing. No, I'm, I'm hoping to go see Allison Chains, but oh, it's uh, tickets come through. It's Bush and Breaking Benjamin that's opening for him. Yeah, I just want to see Allison Chains. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, sir? No, I don't. I, I'm I'm thinking I might try to go up to see Off in Chapel. Oh Hill. yeah, uh, that's that's what that's what's going on the same night as, as um, um, HR. Dry, as yeah, HR. HR. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, um, I'm gonna go to off instead. Yeah. And if I go, if I go, it yeah. just you know, it's hard for me to make that trip anymore. Did we talk about the show, the Shine Down show that we went to? Did we talk about? <laughs> wait, that? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yes. yeah, we did. Yes, but wait, we went to fucking well, see the Shine Down in jail. I know. I mean, we will release. We yeah, never got to Love on the Rocks. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure there's a reason for that. <laughs> what the fuck is that? You know what it's about. Go, go ahead, Ernest. Go ahead. Tell him. Oh well, I mean, it was it was the night after our ska uh, ska party. I know, but still. And uh, me and Javier went to see Jelly Roll and, and Shine, Shine Down. Down. Yeah. So after the show, we're we're out there in the parking lot, and you know, Javier just. Oh my God! Yes, he completely it. missed my car and just went decided went down in the gravel parking lot, right down like on the rocks. Like the rocks. Fucking potatoes, dude! Just went, <laughs> and there's it's funny because three of us are also standing there. We're, we just watch him. Yeah, that was, that was stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have anything. Hey, we've all been there before, though. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't have anything live, but tomorrow I'm going to go to um, this new uh, um, movie theater that they open next to the Charlotte Art League that only shows very like independent film. It's not going to ever show any Hollywood shit. I'm going to go see a documentary on Lee Fields, um, which is sort of like uh, the uh, Gene Vincent. Um, to Elvis Presley, this okay, guy yeah. is the uh, uh, the same thing to uh, James Brown. 
Okay. Uh, but much oh, more wow. complex, okay. way better. Like it's it's fucking so. Um, I'm gonna awesome. go see that documentary. Um, so we're disappointed that the, the, the chats are not coming to Charlotte. The chats are not coming to Charlotte. Which after so Eric getting our hopes up and and Kate. I know. I yeah. was. I was. Oh god! I want to see them so bad. I was psyched when I saw them. I'm like, oh fuck yeah! And then you scroll over. It's like, oh, they stopped the tour like two days before us. <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right. Well, that's all I got. All right. You got um, anything else? No, I don't. Russ, anything else you want to say on your way out? The um, booger. Yeah. So thank, right. you, thank you for joining us and um, taking the time to do, you know, to do this with us. We're very excited. And, uh, you know, hopefully when you release that LP, we'll have you over again and maybe play some of those songs yeah, and cool. see how that journey was. I would love was. to do it. Thank yeah. you. All right. Thanks, y'all. Bye. A huge shout out to our gracious host, Tommy's Pub. Located at 3124 Eastway Drive, Tommy's Pub is a small neighborhood bar that's big on music and community. Go to Tommy's Pub's Facebook page where they regularly provide updates about upcoming events to include weekly open mic night, karaoke, and live music from some of the best up-and-coming bands in the Queen City. Thank you, Tommy's Pub, for hosting M-Vibes Podcast. We have a lot of interesting episodes coming up about music's most interesting topics, but we want to hear from you and what episodes you'd like to hear. If you have an idea for anything we should talk about, email us at mbiespodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced by BWM Productions and researched by Eric, Amanda, and Javier. If you like our podcast, please help us by rating and reviewing us on your favorite listening platform. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at mbiespodcast. Come on and join in the conversation.